0: was great, wasn't it? I love that song and the one preceding it. What a sweet worship time. I am glad to be spending Father's Day with you and to have the joy and the privilege of sharing the Lord's Word with you together on such an important day in the life of families as we celebrate dads and as we give honor to our Heavenly Father and encourage each other as dads. Three things are happening today as I share with you. Uh, the first is I'm sharing with you what I really believe God has laid on my heart for you as dads, for us as a congregation, for young men and young women to hear about fatherhood. Uh, the second thing is that it's coming as a reflection of some areas I feel like I've failed in. And it's third coming as a reflection of some areas, I believe, that that I um, succeeded in. Uh, I'll let you figure out what you think about which ones are which as we go through. But uh, I, I really was thinking about if I could have something shared with me back at the start, what kind of things would those be that would be pretty helpful for me to just lay out and think about and then to personally pursue and so I've entitled it Like a Father, and there's an important aspect to that title. And and it really sets in to us on the first point. So, Like a Father is a statement straight out of the Scripture about God. In His revelation to us, He has chosen... To reveal himself as a father. He has chosen not just to reveal himself in that way, but to actually be that way. To be a father to us, to beget us by his spirit as his sons and daughters, and to rejoice in that. And so when we talk about being a father, the important aspect is, is that through earthly fathers, we are communicating something that God has done in revealing himself. So it's a very important task. It's a very important responsibility. So that launches us right into number one, number one. And I'm using the word let's in this kind of like let's go, let's eat. Um, Let's pray as an invitation for you to join me in something that I believe I ought to be doing as a dad and for you as a dad to join me. So first, let's be a hint of what God is like. I really think that's our primary job, dads, is that through our behavior as a child says the word daddy or father to us. As the title is applied to us, I believe that it is a direct tie that God has established, Dad, that you and I will be a hint, however imperfect, we will be a hint of what he is like. Now, if you want to back that up a little bit, talk to someone who has struggled with an abusive relationship or neglecting dad who has had a hard time understanding God as Father. Speak with them about it. You'll be amazed at the amount of baggage they arrive at the Bible with when the word father or daddy is applied to God and their father was either negligent, absent, or abusive. That baggage has an impact on their view. And so I think that our responsibility, Dads, is to be a hint of what God is like. A foretaste of what He is like. His character, His nature, His goodness, His patience, His kindness, His intent in salvation. That somehow through your interaction, through my interaction... With our children, we will be giving subtle and not so subtle hints that this is what God is like. He's loving and He's joyful and He's patient and He's peaceful and He's kind. When you start laying out those fruits of the Spirit... They are the nature of God the Father inhabiting us so that the hints flow through us as a conduit to our children, to their friends, and to the world that God places us in. And so the very first and foremost responsibility, Dad, that you and I have is to be hints of what God is like. So that as our children grow, as they mature, they're directed towards something so joyful and profound by the kind of person that we are in Christ. Second, dads, let's be happy in Jesus. The Bible tells us, In the book of John, you have it in your notes there that Jesus gives a kind of joy that the world can't give. That the things of the world can't give. A kind of lasting happiness that is not circumstantial. It isn't dependent on material things for its enjoyment. It is a kind of joy that exists in the person of Christ. Our children tend to learn their joys and to pursue their happiness by us. And often you'll watch that the way that a son Pursues happiness is an image of how the dad did or the way that a daughter pursues is the way that a dad did. That there is this pursuit of happiness in Christ that gives our children the right location to find happiness. Dads, I think that aside from the hint thing, that this one is the most dangerous there's a song that that came out a long time ago that we still hear it every now and then. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Y'all remember that song? It, that that song is pretty popular and uh, and, and they played it a lot when I was growing up. And it was just it was a big hit because it was true and people related to it. I, I think, Dad, that if you have this one wrong, that you may be Sending your children on a fruitless endeavor to be happy apart from God, apart from Christ. And so that your happiness in Christ is a it's a compass, it's a it's a direction, it's a it's an example that what you found in Jesus is not religion that you come up here and talk about. I've sat with a lot of parents over time and kids who were church people, but they weren't happy in Jesus. In fact, they just weren't happy. They were always looking for that thing to make them happy, but they were just never, ever happy. And the parent Because they were never happy in Jesus, when the child got to a certain age, because the church was always a place of criticism, the parents were unhappy in church, they were unhappy with church people, they were unhappy with some kind of thing about God or about Christianity, the kids get up. And they don't have the same motivation to go to church that the unhappy parents did. You see, the unhappy parents went because it was tradition and expectation. They still went to church even though it was not a place that they sought happiness in Christ or found happiness in the Lord's Word or happiness in the fellowship of the saints or happiness in the presence of the Spirit or happiness in the hymns of praise or happiness in the prayers to God. They didn't find that. And the kids said, why do y'all go? All you do is complain. And then the parents come to me later and say, "I don't understand why my kids aren't in church anymore." And the run, run in the back of my mind, I, I go, "I do. I understand. Because the way that you were so unhappy about church and about church people and church events, they got it. And since they don't have the traditional motivation you do, they're done. is the thing that we ought to be pursuing in our life is happiness in Jesus, happiness in His people, and all that He's doing in the glory of revealing Himself to a people that He calls His own, and He sends out to the nations with this joy to be spread. And so, when Jesus said that He would give us a joy different from the world, and that it would be His joy in us. I think that's we have a very important job about being happy in Jesus. It's amazing the demeanor that takes hold when a man is happy in Jesus. I'm not talking about a fake, sappy kind of thing. Pretend. That's not what I mean. But an abiding deep joy. Third, let's be healed. <laughs> I grew up in the age of Ernest Ainsley. Who remembers Ernest Ainsley? Is anybody? Not a hand in the I've got one hand. Charles Stepp remembers. Anybody else remember Ernest Angley? There we go, with the bowls. Okay, Ernest Angley was the first healing telepreacher. He was the guy that would actually have you put your hand on the television screen. Okay? He was the one that the far side cartoon that has the guy healing vacuum cleaners, the appliance healer. It was based on Ernest Angley. Ernest Angley's favorite words were be healed. I want to say to you Ernest Angley's words, be healed. What do I mean by that? Well, if you read the story in the text I've given you on point number three, the story is of a man who's laying by a pool of water, and he is an invalid. He is incapacitated. He is unable to get up, and there's no one to move him into the water when this um, so-called stirring of the water by the angel occurred. And Jesus shows up, and he begins talking to this man, and he asks him what I used to think was kind of an insane question But as I've grown older and I've watched myself and I've watched others, I've realized what he was really talking about. Jesus looks at the man and says, do you want to be healed? I mean, to me, that's like a duh. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't ever ask duh questions. His questions are always to probe, to find out and to reveal. And so he asked the man, do you want to get better? I believe that he's speaking to something about us that we need to wrestle through. Often I've been talking with a husband in counseling or with a dad in counseling who uh, maybe they were having some hardship in the marriage or maybe with the kids or maybe they were there because of some things going on in the job or some personal conflicts. And, and I'd be talking to the dad and, and the Lord would raise an issue. He would raise an issue that the man was guilty of some sin, some shortcoming of following through with the teaching of the Scripture, some tendency that was uh, not Christ-like, and that issue would get raised, and the dad would simply say this, that's just how I am. And that was a statement that said a lot more, than those few words. What that man was saying is I am sin sick and I do not want to be healed. I do not want to go through whatever it takes to take that unchristlike sickness in me and have it removed because it would be painful, it would not be convenient to my situation. And I have seen many men walk out of good and godly counsel simply saying, that's just the way I'm wired. That's just the way I am. And press right on into more trouble and fruitlessness because they do not want to be healed. That, men, when God raises an issue of sin in our lives and when he makes it clear that there is an area of unChristlikeness uh, unchristlikeness in us, the question that should follow in our mind is the question Jesus asks that man. Do you want to be healed? Because some of us will say, no, I'm happy just the way I am. What that's going to do is it's going to cause an area of continual conflict between the work of the Spirit, the work of the Word, and the work of our will. And that collision is going to cause more trouble as time comes. And so, Dad, when we are made aware of a sin, a weakness, a wiring issue that is not becoming, as a believer, The question needs to follow. Do you want to be healed? Now, you know that we would think that man laying by the pool there ridiculous if he would have said no. We really. We really would think him ridiculous. But I want you to remember that Jesus did not come for physical healing. Every act of physical healing was simply an example of a spiritual truth. In fact. That's why his healings were always called signs. They were signs of something that God was going to do spiritually that was exemplified physically. Lameness, blindness, deafness, muteness, deadness. All of those things were works that Jesus was going to do. And so when he walks up to that man, he says, Do you want to get well? He is speaking to every one of us men when a sin comes up in our life in an area we need to work on. And it would be very ridiculous if any one of us would say, no, I don't think so. I'd rather be lame the rest of my days because I'm wired this way. It's just how I am. So healing is important. Let's go next to let's be hearty. In missions, I think one of the great jobs and tasks of dads is to impart to their family a discipling mission mindset. It has always been my belief that the rite of passage in growing up in church is to do missions together. Whether that's locally, just down the road, nationally, a little further, or globally, that every dad needs to be leading his family in missions Being a Southern Baptist means being a missionary. A lot of times we get confused about why Southern Baptists got together in the first place. We think, well, it was doctrine that brought us together. Well, yeah, doctrine did bring us together, but that's not why we associated. We already knew each other's doctrine. That wasn't the issue. Well, maybe it was banding together for religious principles. Well, I'm sure that that had some place in it. But if you just go and get our charter, 1845, here's what it says. We, the delegates from missionary societies, churches, and other religious bodies of the Baptist denomination in various parts of the United States met in convention in the city of Augusta, Georgia, for the purpose of carrying into effect the benevolent intentions of our constituents by organizing a plan for eliciting, combining, and directing the energies of the whole denomination in one sacred effort— For the propagation of the gospel. The only reason Southern Baptists exist is to do missions. To be a Southern Baptist is to be a missionary. That's what brought us together. It's what bound us together. It's what binds us together. And it's what holds us together. Is that we believe that there is a gospel that God has sent the church to proclaim and propagate among all the nations. And that's why we're Baptists. And that's how we were born. Well, why do we do missions? I want to tell you a little story about this. Uh, I was teaching the children this week before last about missions. And those of you who came to family night got to see our children in action with their memory. And I was really amazed at how they could. But uh, a week ago... On Sunday, uh, Steve Mears was getting ready to go with the youth. And he was uh, praying the night before with his family and he was spending some time. And his daughter, Laura Beth, and I have their permission to share this, said, Daddy, I, I really, I really don't want you to go away. But I know why you're going. How old's Laura Beth? She's eight. I wish at eight that I would have comprehended this, and from her memory, here's what she said. Let's read it together. Because God deserves to be worshiped by everyone. Number two, because Jesus commanded us to go and tell. Number three, because we love people and want to share our joy with them. Number four, Because without Jesus, we are all sheep without a shepherd. And that eight-year-old girl looked up at her dad and said, I know why you're going. Those are the four reasons. And from her memory, she shared them. That is a beautiful product of a family that's engaged in missions. A church that's engaged in missions. Our job is huge. How big is the task and why should we be talking to our kids about it? Well, here's how big it is. There are 7,425,000,000 people on this earth. Out of that number, 3 billion of them are in 3,264 unreached people groups. And 3,080 of those unreached people groups are uneached, unreached and unengaged. That means they're going to get up tomorrow morning. They're going to go to bed tomorrow night. They're going to live their life. 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Maybe they'll make it to 116 and be the oldest person on earth. And during their life. They'll never hear the name of Jesus. And God has entrusted to us to take that message. Dads, this is the hardiness we ought to be showing. A little further, here's how we do missions. First, we pray. That's why we devote several weeks a year state missions, international missions, national missions, several weeks a year. We also, by going, we go. Uh, this church has such a wonderful legacy. Yesterday I was speaking with one of the directors from the International Mission Board about some future work that we're wanting to engage in with them and I shared with them the, the vision of, of Brother Jim Spencer and what happened with the Sarah Thompson Mission Fund and how this church has carried out this global initiative and local initiative and national initiative and, and here's the third way by giving and how generous our folks are. He said, most churches have no idea what you're talking about. It is glorious what you have done as a church. Dads, let's make this a hearty part of who we are and carry it out together. Okay, next. Let's be a help to the fatherless. That was what was shared here just a few minutes ago by video. Dads, there are a lot of undadded kids, unfamilied kids. And then one of the greatest things we can do is engage in that, whether through personal attention to visit the widows and orphans in their need or whether action that leads to fostering or action that leads to adoption or supporting families that do that, We ought to be a help to the fatherless. One of the most precious things that I get ever is a Father's Day card from young men whose dads were absent. And they thank me for being engaged in their life as a father. That's one of the most meaningful things I've ever read, received, or pondered. Let's be a help to the fatherless. Next, let's bring hope to every situation. John, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter five talks about the work of the Holy Spirit that brings hope in us and that that hope lives in our heart because of the Holy Spirit who has been shed abroad to us. There is a kind of way, dads, that trouble discourages our children. We're living in a really scary world right now. I've never in my life seen things as scary as they are. Watching the news is a depressing thing. Reading the internet is a depressing thing. Over and over there's heinous murder and mayhem and darkness, confusion in our own country about good and evil, all kinds of things going on. And it's really easy to be pulled down by that. But my brothers and sisters, we need to be careful to read the last book of the Bible. It is the book that promises a blessing just by reading it. And it is a book that tells that at the very darkest coming hour when everything looks like it cannot ever be turned for good. The cracking out of the sky is a rider on a white horse. And his name is the word of God. And with his tongue He slays with a sword, and He will come and make things right. And we need to be infusing, instilling, instructing our children that no matter how dark this world gets, our hope is not here. It is not in these things. It is not in politics. It is not in national events. It is not in wars and rumors of wars. Our hope is in our coming King. And we need to instill, we need to bring hope in every situation. Dad, you need to be the most hopeful guy in the room as a believer every time crisis hits. Looking to the hope of our redemption. Seventh, let's be here. I don't mean here in church. I mean here with our kids. When you read that passage there in Mark that's marked for you, it says that Jesus chose twelve disciples that they might be with Him. Dads, there will always seem like something more important than spending time with our families. Work, church, Activities, entertainment, there will always be something. There will always be something. You cannot recoup or regain even one second that you miss with your child. You cannot have it back, get it back, buy it back, pay it back. That second passes, it's gone. If we look at Jesus' model, Jesus' model with his disciples was to be with them. Now, I've put a book on screen here, Tyranny of the Urgent. I would encourage every dad, let me tell you how to get it. There's three ways you can get it. Amazon carries it in this little booklet, $1.99. Amazon has it on Kindle if you're a Kindle reader. Or use any other way of reading. You can download a Kindle uh, um, book too. But it's also available if you just type in this guy's name and the name of this little pamphlet. It's available as a free PDF in probably five or six places online. Basically, what this booklet will say is that, Dad, your danger is confusing the urgent with the important. Because the urgent isn't always important. It will pull you. It will tug on you. But it is not important. And guys, I want to encourage you, hands on close time. Just a few weeks ago, we went through the book of Samuel and we were looking at the remember the the situation with Eli's family. Do you remember that? Sunday school folks, y'all remember that? The situation with Eli's family where Samuel kind of grew up like a rose beside a cesspool there. and There's one line that stands out in that story that lets me know what's going on with Eli and his sons. His sons were so wicked that everybody in the community knew except Eli. Because he was so distant from them, so detached from them, that he did not know their character until the neighbors told him. And he didn't correct them until it bothered him. My sons, it is not good what I am hearing about you. What was going on there? Whatever it was going on in Eli's life, he was too busy to have a personal, intimate, close relationship With his children. And so he had to hear about his children from the neighbors rather than from his own experience. That's don't be like Eli. Know them well enough that they will sit across from you and literally vomit onto the table their struggles, their sins, their sorrows, their agonies their pains, their disappointments. Have a relationship with them where they can sit across from you and tell you that they're disappointed in you. That they know you're weak. That they need something from you and let them ask it. Build a relationship of intimacy with your children where you know their character and they know yours in personal, deep conversations. And finally, let's be His. I believe that the greatest gift that we can impart in our behavior is the belief that we are under authority. A lot of dads operate very independently. Join me in 1 Corinthians. We're going to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In the modern age and kind of with the boomers and the busters and the, now the millennials, there's this really hip thing of being rebellious. There's just this little edge that people like and maybe how they dress or what they do. This little edge of rebellion, you kind of see it in commercials, you kind of see it in society. This little edge, and what I've noticed is that dads are gravitating toward that as if it's really hip and really cool to be a little rebellious. Now, there are a lot of ways that it's uh, defined, and for different men and different people, it's it's defined differently. But there's this little air of rebellion, this little edge of trying to be hip and trying to be cool, that places us in a place where we do not act like men who are under authority. I want to communicate something to you that I think is tragic. What's happened in that is because we men don't act under authority from God, our children often grow up with no sense of authority at all. Because we will not place ourselves under the right governmental authority and the true God authority. And we have this little bit of rebel spirit. Our children amplify that and they become rebels. And we wonder, why are they so rebellious? Why are they, rebel? why are they getting in trouble? What's going on with them? Why do they not respect us in the home? Why do they talk to mom that way? Why do they talk to dad? I don't understand that. I don't think that that is corrected by some severe disciplinary process. I think it's corrected By us being under God's authority. Listen to the Lord's word in verse 19 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Every dad here who is a believer, you're not your own. You're owned by somebody. And that's why he goes on further to say, you were bought with a price. So that authority that you're under as a dad is not authority that was come in and forced on you. It was a loving authority that came and purchased you. You were on the auction block of the slavery of sin You had sold your soul to sin and the devil was your father. And God in His infinite mercy sent Jesus who came and lived the way that you should have lived perfectly under the authority of His Father always obeying His will. And Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for your soul To ransom and redeem you from the auction block of the slavery of sin and the surrender to Satan. And by his blood he purchased you and made you his own child. And the adoption fee was the death of his son. And you're under authority. And therefore, your submission is not to a severe God who bears down on you with His fist of authority, though He could. It is from a suffering Savior who bore down on your soul with His love and shed His life and blood to purchase you. And so that... Being His is living under His authority. The authority of His Word, the authority of His will, and the authority of His Spirit. And so, what you and I need to do today, as dads, is walk out of here with a determination that says, I'm His. I belong to him. He bought me with his blood. And I will surrender. I'll be a hint of what he's like. I'll be a help to those who have no father. I'll be hope in every situation. I have a hearty, hearty commitment. To the mission He commanded me to do. And in all of what He's doing, I will identify this one thing. I'm His. Dads, moms, everyone, would you bow with me as we close? Men, I I want to challenge you with just one question as we close. Here it is. I want you to ask this question. Am I His? Now, it's possible you're here in church today and the answer is no. Maybe you've been a church member a long time, but the answer is still no. You're not his. There's been no purchase, no transaction. You've not surrendered and trusted and given your heart to Christ. Oh, you might have been baptized. You might be a member. But you know what I'm talking about. That saving moment of trust. That's why we call him Lord. And so my encouragement to you, Dad, answer this question today. Am I yes? Say it with me. Am I yes? If yes, leave as a man under authority and enjoy all he's called you to be. If the answer is no, I want to invite you right to him. Jesus did exactly what I shared. And through what he has done on the cross, God in the flesh has made possible forgiveness of your sins and eternal life would you stand as God stirs your heart would you come would you respond